The Athletic. Totally football show. Today, round four in the Premier League. Arsenal, Man United. Gunners struggled to be ten men last weekend. Can they do ten hog this? Elsewhere, there's Villa at the pool, the late season holiday booking Classico. And Hatters hosting Hammers. What will happen? And how are the home improvements? Plus, transfer guesses and such in this Totally football show. All right, listener. Hey, Thursday, the 31st of August, last day of August. Summer should be starting any day now <laughs> as I sit here with Jay Harris. Hello, Jay. Hey, James. Sonny Duncan Alexander. Hello. AKA Oily Sailor. And joining us from Manchester, it's Carl Anker. Hello, Carl. Oh, hi, hi, James. You've got a big week coming up for you, haven't you, Carl? And then some. All right. Have you got back to back Talk of the Devils live shows? We do, we do indeed. So, uh, Laurie and I will be going to Arsenal versus Manchester United on Sunday. Mm. We will then return to Manchester on the Monday for the first live show before going back to London for Talk of the Devils Live in London. So, uh, a fun a fun jaunt for both of us. That's amazing. Along with Andy and Ian. I mean, I, I, I hesitate to ask this, but is there a chance that some tickets are still available? Maybe. Okay. At a push, myticket.com for, for more details. Right, okay. Or at the door, you know, you'll have to pay a premium, but more than worth it. You think that's exciting? Duncan's been on the biggest zip wire <laughs> in the world, is it, Duncan? Might just be in Europe, I think. It was in Norway. It was good. How big is the zip wire? <clears throat> I'm not sure of the exact uh, measurements, but it does go 100 kilometers an hour. Wow. So, it's a suspiciously round number they've gone for, but yeah, it was good. A finest remark. So, did you have to wear a helmet? Yeah, you have to wear like a, a helmet, yeah. And I took off um, my glasses because I was concerned that they would fall off, you know, 100, 100k an mm-hmm. hour. Right. So, everyone else really liked it, but for me, it just slightly just a big blur of green and green. Right. So, <laughs> did yeah. you find that your faces were doing that thing where you know when they do that G4 simulation? Like a moonraker. Yeah, the, the, yeah, the flab is basically rippling out in waves across your physiognomy. I couldn't see, but yeah, possibly. Probably so, <laughs> yeah. What were you going over? Trees, a lot of just, trees. Just trees. And mountain and rivers. Yeah, it was, it was very Was it from a mountain down to the you know, yeah. valley f- floor? Yeah, yeah. When you reach the end of a zip wire, there's that moment when you hit and then swing back and forth. Was no, that- this one's more controlled. I, think, I don't think they can risk that in, in this. So you, you come to sort of a controlled stop. It was, you know. Still 100 kilometres an hour. Yeah, yeah. You know. That's uh, okay. You were in Norway. Mm. Nice. Yeah, that's good. Excellent. Jay, all good with you? I did randomly bump into Will I Am from the Black Eyed Peas in the, the lift in the office yesterday. That was a strange <laughs> experience. Okay. How, how did that come about? Um, literally went down a level and he walked in and I immediately knew it was him. Did you? Um, because it what? Looked like him or was he, just, he singing it, one of his hits? No, no, no. Just the way he talks. Um, he just right. has that classic look where he's got like a cap half on, half mm. off. Okay. Yeah, uh, the glasses. Okay. Very like slightly eccentric hipstery way of dressing. Mm. Um, and he was, yeah, shoulder to shoulder with me. And obviously I was debating whether to take a, a selfie. Not for me, of course. For family and friends, mm-hmm. I can't say I've listened to a Black Eyed Peas song in a long, long, long time. Okay, um, but he was clearly in the middle of doing some sort of business meeting. So, oh nice, we we both got out at reception and he went left, I went right, and that that was the end. But you always have that moment, Carl. I think you wanted to contribute on this. What? What? Why? Why would why would he go left in the reception? I, I know how this I, building works. I, I don't know. <laughs> I really don't know. Really good point, it, was, it was at that point where I thought. Clearly something high level is going on here. I'm just going to go about my day. Yeah, you, fair enough. This was at the side entrance. We always, listen, I know this is totally boring for you, but it's really <laughs> interesting for anyone who's been into the foyer. What was he doing going left? <laughs> I, I don't know. I think, there, you know, there's like a little um, kitchen where the security yes. uh, sit. Oh, yeah? I, I think he might have been heading in there. So whether he was going to go and make a cup of tea or something like that, I, I don't know. There you go. One thing I always remember at Will I Am was he was part of the um, Olympic torch carrier run, however you want to describe it, for, mm. for London 2012. Uh, and he had the leg across Swindon, which. <laughs> <laughs> Him and John Gorman. Yeah, made, just made me titter. Just Will I Am running with the Olympic torch through Swindon. Did he run? He, 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 he did it. did a very Hollywood esque 
jog mm. through Swindon Town. Did he run more than Willie Ann ran for Arsenal? Is the question. <laughs> Nicely done, Duncan. And uh, back we return to the football. As I say, round four this weekend, which begins Friday night. As Luton play the first ever Premier League game at Kenilworth Road, West Ham are the visitors on Saturday. There's another tense one down at the bottom at lunchtime. As Sheffield United host Everton, both teams looking for their first point of the season. Then Brentford take on Bournemouth as Burnley Spurs, which is the Premier League's first ever Belgian manager against the Premier League's first ever Australian manager. Hashtag history. At Chelsea take on Forest, Man City play Fulham. And then in the Saturday evening game, Brighton host Newcastle, which I'm guessing, Duncan, is the longest trip in the Premier League this season, is it? Bournemouth might be longer. Do you think? But, uh, but Newcastle and Brighton came up together. It's the long, it's the biggest or most distance promotion in top flight history. Well, how about that? Yeah. Sunday, Palace Wolves is the early TV game with Liverpool Aston Villa at the same time and not televised in the UK, which you have to say is a shame. At 4.30, though, you can tune in to Arsenal, Man United. Uh, John Mians says, well, he's offering a bad pre-season prediction amnesty. He says, which of your takes are you doubling down on and which one do you want to revise? Carl, what did you... What did you oh, well, the, the, you can't revise your take until January. That's the rules of the game. Oh. Um, but I believe... Joel's offering my, you an amnesty. You can withdraw one of your hot takes. I can from, withdraw one of my hot takes. Yeah. Um, I think I'll, most of my takes now are revolved around the 20 assist record. So hmm. I often say, it's going to be broken this time. Who by, I, th- I thought Trent, things, I, I've been big on Liverpool scoring a lot of goals this season. So I thought maybe Trent could break 20 assists this season. Um, and having watched Liverpool so far, I'm going to quietly rescind that. The 20 assist record will hold again. Jay. I can't remember if I had anything no. outrageous to Wise say man. off the top of my head. Mm. I think I kept it simple. I yeah, we know what you did. Yeah, and I'm doubling down. All right then, yeah. Chelsea to finish second in yeah. the Premier League. Says Duncan what? Alexander. <laughs> yeah, he's Chelsea to finish second. Yeah, and mm. you're not taking off or revert. <laughs> <laughs> okay, no, I might okay. upgrade it. Okay. <laughs> Chelsea have Forest this weekend. Not a game that I was thinking of featuring particularly uh, in our preview chat. Mm. But anything you want to say about that, Duncan? Well, just the fixture computer a bit harsh, and on Forest have started. Arsenal, United, right now Chelsea. Is this a particularly strange year for fixture computer machinations? You've had Burnley, mm. who've had three consecutive home games. Brentford, Jay, am I right, have yet to leave West London in there. Yeah, it's been a nice, smooth start to the season for me. It's been, it's been joyful. And Forrest, as you say, with this uh, rancid run on the road. Mm. Yeah, I think, obviously... It's quite strange, actually, because a lot of teams have played three at home and one away, or vice versa, after this weekend, which is quite unusual. I mean, Burnley are the first team to start with three home games, obviously because their away game at Luton was was postponed um, since three teams did it in 1997-98. But I think that was because people will remember a glorious week in late August 1997 when both the Reebok Stadium and Pride Park opened and the nation rejoiced at two mid-sized functional stadia uh so that i think they they fiddle with the uh scheduling for that but yeah it's slightly unusual but. excellent let's begin with arsenal man united this is the totally football show part of the athletic podcast network absolutely fantastic and it comes to roy Keane, and Keane has slipped home the winner here is Wayne Rooney. Ronaldo's getting up with him. Rooney has found Ronaldo. How about that? How about that? Zinchenko. Oh, the goal! It's in! Little touch on the line from Unketia. Those are the moments. Sunday at 4.30, it is Arsenal-Man United. One of your favourite non-derby fixtures, I imagine, Carl, but I think for the neutral as well, one of our league's most cherished fixtures, would you say, Jay? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I grew up in an era when Arsenal-Manchester United were constantly fighting for the title, you know, early 2000s. So my, my early memories of the Premier League are of, you know, the classic Vieira versus Keane, Henri, Will Todd scoring at um, Old Trafford to, to win Arsenal the league. Um, so, yeah, still holds a very, very special place in lots of people's hearts and minds. Carl, how do you feel about it this this time around? 
quite nervous from the Manchester United perspective. Arsenal are seven, you know, seven points from a possible nine, and okay, the injury to Yuri and Timber and Gabriel's status seems to have made them not as strong as they looked two or three weeks ago. But this is an Arsenal team that I think a lot of people were thinking we're going to finish in the top two, whereas this Manchester United team looked to be aiming for third or fourth. And then the way United have started this season has got me pulling a face and humming the Europa League theme song again. Duncan once reworked an infamous tweet about how every week there is one crisis club and the goal is to never be that crisis club. I think among the top six, one of the worst situations you can be is be the crisis club just before an international break. So uh, whoever loses this game, if there is indeed someone defeated, is going to have two weeks of some of the worst sporting discourse about what's gone wrong, whereas the victor just gets to enjoy a nice international break. Right. uh, Tuning up whoever comes in late in the window. For United, it could be another of those 14-kilometre runs that Ten Hag likes at at this this time of the season. They have lost five of the last nine meetings with Arsenal. However, the most recent encounter, although not strictly official, in July, finished 2-0 to United. That was at the MetLife, uh, the Meadowlands in New Jersey. Were you across that, Carl? Indeed. This was a game where it looked as if Kobe Mainu was going to be the nice uh, breakout player of Mm. pre-season tour and would be the uh, Casemiro partner in, in central midfield only for him to unfortunately have an ankle injury that's ruled him out for the first part of the season. Manchester United have never confirmed how many parts they think there are to a season. <laughs> so that's annoying. Um, <laughs> that game against Arsenal was interesting because mainly was very, very good. There's a lot of very good rotations on the right-hand side in particular. But also it was, you know, your first sort of up-close glimpse of Havertz and others. And it didn't quite work and I've said before I I don't get Havertz at Arsenal yet and I'm still waiting to get it this is a me problem here well it it might be an Arsenal problem it might be a a problem that Mikel Arteta is looking to solve by maybe rotating a bit with his lineup this weekend what do you think Duncan to Carl's point about Havertz I think the Arsenal fan base is becoming more divided by the game in terms of you know give him time the whole team's not playing well versus you know poking with a stick, do mm. something. Um, I've, I've heard the new Ozil mentioned in, in his connection, which well, seems harsh. that's harsh because Ozil started like a steam engine. And right. Had, well, nearly broke the 20 assist record that we mentioned, Carl mentioned. But yeah, Arsenal aren't functioning well. They're, their open play XG is, um, is 11th best so far. Um, they've got less open play XG than Everton. Arsenal this, have? Yeah, this really? season. So they haven't been particularly creative in open play. But you do feel like they are going to click at some point and 4.30 on a Sunday, one of our favourite time slots, um, I do feel like they are due a performance. So. I was just going to say, Carl obviously mentioned Gabriel's status there and um, I do think Arteta has a big decision to make as to whether he just brings him back into the, the fold this weekend. Obviously, Timber's out. Um, I think Tomiyasu can return from his um, suspension where he picked up the two yellows against Crystal Palace. But obviously one of the issues why Arsenal have been playing slightly differently in these first three games is Zinchenko's not been fully fit. They got 30 minutes against um, Fulham last weekend. So I think it'll be intriguing to see if Arteta just goes back to what made Arsenal so successful, certainly in the first half of last season, where you had that back four of Zinchenko, Gabriel, Saliba and White. Um just read Art's piece um, on The Athletic about Arsenal and some of the dysfunction within that back line. And he was pointing out how White playing as a centre-back means Saka's ending up being a little bit more isolated out on the right wing. Uh, I think Saka's scored in the last three games between Arsenal and Man United as well. So you want to make sure that he's kind of got that support from White overlapping and bombing on. And also Gabriel has just been probably a little bit of an unsung hero for Arsenal over the last couple of years. I think he started 73 games in a row just like a natural defender in that term. And Arsenal's record of clean sheets at the Emirates Stadium for the last, I think they've what, only kept one clean sheet in the last 10 games in all competitions. So this feels like, yes, Arteta we know likes to experiment and he's you know been putting party at right back and it's not looked very clean at the moment against Man United, especially with Rashford and Anthony have caused them quite a few problems in the last couple of years. The safest things for Arteta to do might be to revert back to what worked so successfully last year. Fabio Vera has been pretty good. Obviously, came on last week. First ever Arsenal playing the Premier League to both assist a goal and win a penalty in the same game. So, that's an option. 
No Arsenal player in the history of the Premier League has ever assisted a goal and won a penalty in the same game. As a substitute. Oh, right. Okay. Mm. That's a key part of that. But yeah. also on Vieira, yeah. he feels like a little bit of a forgotten man as well. Because really, mm. he was kind of bought to play that left-sided eight role alongside Odegaard. Havertz has come in. But it's quite telling that Vieira is the one who's kind of, you know, given them the most in terms of an attacking sense this season, even in quite limited appearances. And this fixture is crying out for a man called Vieira to do something, <laughs> right? Legacy. Carl, from Man United's perspective, what are the big concerns? What does Ten Hag need to rejiggle? Injuries. Uh, injuries have decimated the squad from where it looked like at the start of the season. Rafael Varane is going to be unavailable for several weeks, as is Mason Mount. Um, Luke Shaw is, is of a TBC status, which is a, a sort of new edict from Ten Hag at the moment, where he will confirm that players are injured. He will not give too many details as to what part of the body is injured and for how long. I've mm. been told that this is a holdover from his time in the Eredivisie where Dutch managers don't go into too much detail. I need to double check that to see if that's true or if someone's pulling my leg. <laughs> yeah, this is... a Gareth Ainsworth did this at Wickham. Like, it's almost... It's seen as this advantage not to tell anyone. Mm. But it, it doesn't really help because fans just end up going, well, what's wrong with them? How long are they out? When it, mm -hmm. it just seems really... Pointless. Potentially, it's a long time though for Luxor, isn't it? Um, several months. If Manchester United are in the lookout for for a left back on a short term loan, right, we are talking more months, possibly even weeks. Again, not confirmed, but the noise we're hearing in terms of left backs Manchester United are interested in leads me to believe they they aren't just waiting for Tyrell Molasses to come back from his injury in a couple of right. weeks and holding on to that. You know, Alvaro Fernandez. They're promising academy player. If Shaw's out, it, it seems to be for a while, especially if they want to get another body through the door. Mm. So this Arsenal team, you know, Jay's spoken quite eloquently there that the Arsenal team is a lot easier to fix than, than this Manchester United team. I think United's back four on Sunday will likely be a left back, the um, Sandro Martinez, uh, Victor Lindelof at the right centre back position. Uh, and then Aaron Wan-Bissaka, the left-back, could be Diogo Dallo, again playing on the opposite side, or someone who gets brought in at the last minute at the end of this window, which is... You, you mean know, like Mark Cucurella? You think he could come in and, and do a job? Like Mark Cucurella, who I've been watching a lot of games yesterday to try and write a piece in case the deal is done. And mm. I had a real roller coaster experience watching his <laughs> good performances for Brighton before coming across his... Um, quite painful experience against Manchester City this January and then a game against Borussia Dortmund where Dortmund just essentially baited him higher up the field, higher up the field and the moment he, he you know, walked into the bear trap that he's played into the space behind. He's a curious player um, and real evidence of just how bizarre Chelsea's spending's been recently in that there are two or three players who look to be on quite nice, quite comfortable trajectories that have just had their careers dramatically changed I've watched Nandi Matueke, you know, play part for Chelsea in, in the League Cup just now. And I keep thinking, you should have won. You should have played a bigger role in PSV's attempt at the Dutch League title last season. You could have got that team over the line, but you got snapped up in January. Uh, Jay, you excited for this one? Very excited. Yeah, it's difficult to predict how it's going to go because, as Carl mentioned, both teams have their, their issues at the moment. Mm. The stat about Arsenal's XG is quite telling. Um, but again, Arsenal at the Emirates... Over the last year, they've really turned that place into a fortress from what it was before. So I'd still think you'd probably say Arsenal edge it slightly as favourites, especially with Man United's problems at the back. But it's going to be fun, for sure. Good. Because Sacco, who we mentioned there, is the newly crowned PFA Young Player of the Year. The PFA Awards done this week, unusually. Why, why is that? I think it's something to do with when the, the season ended and, okay. and wanting people who'd been involved at the, the Women's World Cup to... Right, that makes sense. Rachel Daly won the PFA Women's Player of the Year. The Men's Player of the Year was Erling Haaland, the junior version thereof. Excellent. Next up, let's talk about Liverpool Villa. Hello, listeners. If you're someone who is just too busy for a regular-length podcast in the morning, we have something for you. The Daily Football Briefing brings you bang up to date with the biggest football stories in just over 10 minutes. Whether it's David Ornstein on the latest big signing or Matt Slater on a takeover saga that won't go away, we'll bring you right up to speed all before you've finished your first coffee of the day. Listen on Apple Podcasts, Spotify and all the usual platforms and make sure to like and subscribe so you don't miss a single episode. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is the Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. The Athletic is the only place you can read articles by Daniel Taylor, Amy Lawrence, Phil Hay, James Pierce, Ollie Kay, and the very best football writers around. The moose bouche for the Arsenal Man United game is Liverpool Aston Villa, at least it would be if it was on TV, but still has all the ingredients being the game of the weekend, I would suggest, Duncan Alexander. Yeah, very much so. I mean, Liverpool somehow are on seven points. Um, scientists don't quite know how, but they are. Um, and Aston Villa didn't go to Newcastle and win, but probably look one of the most interesting teams so far, I would posit. A week ago, we were marvelling at the fact that Liverpool were on the longest unbeaten run in the Premier League. Here's another fact to blow your mind. Only Man City have won more points in the Premier League in 2023 than Aston Villa. What do you make of that, Carl? That is remarkable. Uh, and it also speaks to the transformative effect Emery's had mm. on this Villa team. They're... They're a lot of fun, and I keep every time Villa sign a player, um, I'm often, I often go, oh yeah, makes a lot of sense. Fill your boots, have fun. They 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 are beginning to make smart decisions on a consistent basis. That is quite pleasing. This season, though, for all that they're fun, are they any good? Because they did beat Burnley <laughs> by three and put four past Everton and five past Hibs. I don't know what they're going to do Thursday night in the return of that game. But when they took on a bigger side, aka Newcastle, they got hammered so what do you think I think obviously when they came up against Newcastle it was quite tight for the first 30-40 minutes or so and then Tyrone Mings going off injured seemed to mm. completely change the state of the game um, I know Paul Torres I think that was his, his Premier League debut was caught out of position quite a lot of times but I think one of the most interesting things about Villa this season is how Moussa Diaby joining has kind of revolutionised the way that they attack um i think they often attack down the left hand side last season and now diaby and matty cash seem to have got quite a good understanding on the right hand side it's just given them a little bit more unpredictability a little bit more flexibility obviously watkins we know what he can deliver as well but i think diaby it's two goals and assist in three games so he started really well for them and um the fact that that villa have recovered from that you know chastening defeat to newcastle in the way they have is pretty impressive but it'd be intriguing to see how far they can keep this going once the European competition kicks in properly, especially with Buendia out for pretty much the entire season. Ming's out injured for a long time as well. That squad is going to be stretched at the times. I mean, it's strange as it sounds. I think almost the way they lost at Newcastle is a good sign, which sounds odd. But the fact they didn't give up their principles, they kept playing in the same way. They kept that high line. And and I think Emery's... in. Emery reminds it's like a, a guy that can't maybe run the biggest restaurant in the world when he went to Arsenal, but he's like the best chef at a medium-sized restaurant you could ever get. So I think he, he's got total confidence in what he's doing at Villa and the players get it, they understand it. And I think they're almost custom designed to cause this Liverpool defence issues. Right. So. You've been watching a popular... I was watching that before everyone else. So Were you? Yeah. What did you make of the, third, of the second season? Yeah, good. Yeah. Okay. Highs and lows for me. Mm. <laughs> a little bit, yeah. Mm. Still not watched it yet, by the way. Have you not? I'm trying not to, any of it. Neither. I'm trying to convince my girlfriend she's not keen at the moment. Yeah. I'm like, come on, everybody's telling me we've yeah, got no, to watch no. it. No, no, the first and... season's amazing. Mm. Second season, as I say, it has its some exceptional moments. Episode six and seven. Yeah. But, um, yeah. Anyway. Uh, ooh, a Liverpool without the suspended Van Dijk. Do we know yet how long he gets on top of his mandatory ban? Not yet, but I think everyone's expecting him to get additional because mm. he didn't go quietly, put it that way. Mm. Certainly didn't. Uh, didn't. You got Konate out as well. How concerned should Liverpool be with a makeshift back line against, as uh, Jay was just explaining, a free-flowing Villa front uh, force? Very concerned. I, I, I listened to an early episode with Tolly this season. Tim Spears was talking about how important Konate was for the Liverpool system and you know, when they shift into that back three, when Trent pushes up, you need to have a very mobile defender there. Joe Gomez is not the Joe Gomez of 2018. And while he's a very good, you know, typical defender, as Jay said, a meat and potatoes defender, um, if you want to move into a 
a slightly more developed style with, with this back three and Trent inverting to cause a box midfield, there is a downgrade there. Liverpool are almost there. They're just, I feel as if they're missing one extra defensive midfielder and one extra centre-back and then we can start properly talking about the Liverpool teams of old. But at the moment, yeah, there, there's a weakness there and I'm sure Emery's going to look to exploit it, particularly with down that left-hand side, which I know Emery's done two or three plays down the left against bigger, bigger teams, shall we say, um, since he's been at Villa that are really good at pulling defenders out of position and exploiting the space in behind. The prospect of John McGinn against Shobberslie is is good as well. Why? Just because they've both started the season really, really well, and mm. I think um, don't do wildly dissimilar jobs. And I think it will be. I think this it is a tragedy. Let's be honest that this game's not on TV because it is, could be one of the the games of the first block of four rounds, as I like to call it, for the international break. But what do you think is going to happen, Duncan? Uh, I think it will be high scoring. I mean, I guess it's interesting to see whether Nunes starts for Liverpool after his heroics. Um, maybe not, I think. I think Klopp might stick with with what he's been doing up front. And also there's, you know, there is rumours. We don't know yet, do we? But the transfer deadline day tomorrow. Mm. Um, there could still be comings and goings at Anfield. Well, so. indeed. <clears throat> Those rumours have been bubbling away for a week or two now. All right, so that's the game that the TV mandarins have uh, decided not to give us but instead they'll be serving us uh, hot and fresh out the kitchen crystal palace against wolves sometimes it's things that you don't order that turn out to be even tastier and again on the tv note if you ever saw the sarah silverman show there's a fantastic episode involving a tab the the soda seek it out really okay. really yeah yeah sarah silverman show, the, the episode with tab uh, but anyway <laughs> the other game is crystal palace against wolves wolves who were 5 0 winners against Blackpool on Tuesday in the Carabao Cup. Uh, big man Sasa Kaladzic was on the score sheet again, as was Matt Doherty, marauding Matt Doherty. You got a brace. Woof. So, Wolves at Crystal Palace. Any other League Cup results we should be talking about here, Duncan? Um, How did Wickham get on? Ah, they lost to Sutton, uh, concentrating on the, on the league. I was very concerned that Sutton would get a very plum draw in the third round, but it's fine. They got right. Port Vale away, so I'm. I'm happy. Is that a big game for Wickham? What? Sutton? No. Okay. A kind of <laughs> London faux countryside satellite yeah, I mean, town derby or something. Yeah. We, yeah. Not at all. The M25 Classico. <laughs> yeah. I guess. Um, I, Everton won. Which right. You don't get to say that sentence very often. But, um, Ooh, that game took a while to warm up, didn't it? Ugh. Yeah. Beto. But Beto... So they were playing on. Doncaster, who I think I'm right in saying were a bottom of the entire football 92 league. 92 out of 92, yeah. yeah. Right, and how did they get on? Well, Doncaster took the lead, and okay. John Deitch looked concerned. It was a uh, offside. Yeah. Well, obviously, no, no VAR in, in these things. Yeah, fans who complain about VAR are now complaining there was no VAR. Interesting. Um, but yeah, Beto came on and scored the equaliser and looked good. I mean, with the huge caveat, it was Doncaster, but... It was a lovely goal. He shrugged off the defender and kind of angled it, didn't he, without looking almost past the keeper. That's good. Dan Juma scoring is probably quite quite important as well. Yeah. Did his snake celebration as well, so he's keeping that going. So yeah, I mean, I think it were. Yeah, Everton are in a in a bad place, but as we mentioned earlier, they've they've been creating chances this season. Mm. Just haven't had anyone to finish it off, and maybe I'm I'm going all in on Beto. I'm, I might become a. Beto super fan. Okay, excellent. Everton, their fixture this weekend is a Saturday lunchtime one. That's away at Sheffield United. Two teams who are yet to conquer a point. Sheffield United have at least, though, scored uh, two goals, one of which was against Man City last weekend. Sorry, I've just seen that um, Beto was working at KFC in Portugal four years ago. Yeah. I mean, it's a remarkable story. And he makes sure to go, to go back to that particular outlet whenever he's in Portugal. That's pretty cool. Mm. Yeah, I was. No, I'm not. <laughs> was it something zinger based? No, that okay. was initial option. I was right. going to say Everton's attack's been a bit of a boneless bucket this season. <laughs> All right, Everton will be hoping to take away uh, some points from uh, Sheffield United, but you know, Blades got knocked out actually by League One Lincoln on penalties in the League Cup. Uh, also in that cup competition, Spurs got done by Fulham on penalties. 
Maybe we'll touch on that later on. I did kind of initiate this chat uh, on the Crystal Palace Wolves thing. Mm. Was there anything else we want to say about this, or should we just let it happen and, and have a think about it next week? When, when that's, it's... that's a game that really, mm. yeah, oh, that's not that no. scream goals. Not, okay. not one for the purists. I mean, Matias Nunes missed Wolves training this week, and it looks like he will be completing his transfer to Man City before the weekend's games. That's a really interesting deal. In one, okay, I can I can see how Man City didn't get Declan Rice and have looked throughout. Premier League football and go, okay, Mateus can do a job and work in a similar fashion. But the other deal of Wolves getting Tommy Doyle in return, but also having a pretty substantial sell-on fee, having to agree to a pretty substantial sell-on fee, really feels gauche from Manchester City. It does feel (laughs) as if Wolves are getting a little bit fleeced here. Tommy Doyle, tell us more. Tommy Dove, a, a very good player, and him going in the other direction to, to Wolves is okay, you know, well done. You're taking on Wolves' better players and you're giving them a, a bunch of cash and also a promising young player. Right. But to put on a, just this substantial sell on fee, it feels like even when good things happen to Wolves right now, there's always a caveat that makes it, you know, it's a flat kind of tab, so to speak. Very interesting analogy, uh, Carl. All right, well, let's leave Crystal Palace against Wolves there for the moment. Well, I could mention that Crystal Palace had a big win in the League Cup. Matessa got a brace. No, he got they... a hat-trick. He got a hat-trick? Yeah, a rare hat-trick. I was at Brentford v Crystal Palace last weekend, sat next to uh, Matt Woosnam, who covers Crystal Palace. And I think um, there's frustration about Mateta's, um lack of, I guess, not ruthlessness, but just lack of quality in, in mm. front of goal, if I'm being blunt. So to, to <laughs> score a hat-trick against Plymouth was a bit of a, a surprise, shall we say. Nice. Very good. Crystal Palace Wolves is at 2 o'clock on Sunday. Next up for us, let's touch on the Saturday tea time game, Brighton-Newcastle. The Premier League is back and the Athletic Football Podcast is your essential football companion this season. Whether it's dissecting Chelsea's astronomical spending, assessing Spurs in a post-Harry Kane era, or the growing impact of Saudi Arabia's riches, we'll be there four days a week this season as we get to the heart of the biggest stories. Join me, Ayo Akinwalere, and the Athletics' esteemed roster of writers on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and the usual podcast spaces. We're all driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. You can use Indeed for scheduling, screening and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. According to their own survey, 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites. Remember the last time you were hiring and how slow and overwhelming it was? Well, you don't need to go through all that again. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent. And because you listen to The Totally Football Show, Indeed is going to give you a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash totally. That's I-N-D-E-E-D.com slash totally. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed at Indeed.com. You're listening to The Totally Football Show with James Richardson, the Sports Podcast Awards Soccer Podcast of the Year. Avian Thrills, Saturday tea time. Seagulls against Magpies. Seagulls are top scorers in the Premier League this season. They average three goals a game. Are they exactly the kind of team that Newcastle should enjoy playing, do you think? Nice and open. Possibly vulnerable on the break, as West Ham proved last weekend. Or do we see the Magpies heading into the international break with three defeats in a row? I do think it's... uh one of the most exciting games in the in the Premier League. You know, you've got these two teams with two different styles who are both trying to break up that that top six, albeit with very different sources of funding, shall we say. But it's important to point out what happened to Brighton against West Ham last week because all three of West Ham's goals came in the exact same way. Pretty much Jared Bowen at the heart of it and Mikhail Antonio as well, just constantly hitting them on the counter. And, you know, Brighton still managed to score as they always do, but just didn't really seem to work out how to prevent that from happening. 
And you look at the players that Newcastle have at their disposal, you know, Anthony Gordon started the season exceptionally well. He gave Trent Alexander-Arnold a horrible time last week. Obviously, he was I think he was player of the tournament at the um, European Under-21 Championships this summer. And you could potentially see him having a lot of fun, you know, kind of running into the gaps that, that Brighton leave open. And Isak as well. Isak's a very pacey striker. So I think it's going to be really interesting. I, I think it's really difficult to predict, but I can expect, similar to Villa and Liverpool, that there's going to be a lot of goals in this game. Terrific. Yeah, I mean, Liam Thorne of The Athletic did a really good piece after the West Ham game, sort of sort of explaining that that's the way to beat a Deserby team, is to sit deep and, and hit them on the break like that. And I don't think Newcastle will necessarily do that. So I don't think Brighton, apart from his first in his first few games, they've not lost two in a row under Deserby. So he does tend to kind of react quite well to a defeat like the West Ham one. So, yeah, I just think it's going to be... A, ridiculously high quality game it could be I mean Brighton have already had 159 touches inside the opposition penalty area which is the most on record after three games how many? 159 which is a lot so um, yeah (laughs) tune in it's on telly well done well done. <laughs> Brighton have signed Carlos Baleba from Lille for 23 million Cameroonian teenager who played 19 games in midfield for the French side last season that's one for the future but here's another name who may well be pitching up at the Amex very soon Ansu Fati. This is potentially one of the deals of the summer surely. Remarkable. It, it's it, it, heck of a way to to get some promising talent in after you've missed Mohamed Kudus to West Ham. Mm. Um, Fati doesn't have the explosive and sort of remarkable first two steps that he used to at Barcelona due to just a horrendous spell of rehab the club gave him that shocked the doctor but there is still a fantastic football player in there and I very much want Fatty to do well at Brighton I very much think he, he will be very good in this Deserby system that baits the press and then tries to play around you or, or through you even so if this still goes through um, yeah open small bottles of champagne all round yeah. he's going to be a fantastic football player in the Premier League he was the next big thing at Barca when he first came through as a teenager. Last season, not so great. Seven goals in, in 36. Jay? Yeah, I've just um, quickly noticed that Pascal Gross has been called up to Germany's senior squad for the first time at 32 years old. So we talk a lot about how Brighton obviously improve young talent, you know, in CISO, Matoma. Um, but also think of the way they've kind of rejuvenated the careers of Pascal Gross. Mm. You know, they've taken Lewis Dunk to another level. Adam Lallana, Danny Welbeck. It's quite impressive. Look out for this uh, guy I got called James Milner, who um, <laughs> could could be uh, back in the England squad soon. Yeah. The Euros are in Germany next summer. Mm. I mean, mm. Gross is interesting be? in that he's he's got the James Ward Prowse esque set piece that, uh, quality. In that he's always going to be worth a handful of assists across the season because he's so dependable on corners and on those free kicks. So yeah, it's it's good that he's found his feet at Brighton and uh, the fact that he's in the Germany national team makes me go, oh, okay. Germany want to do crash bang wallet football at the Euros then. Nice. Uh, next up, let's talk about some Friday night action. Uh... Hi, Ali Maxwell here, host of the Athletic Football Tactics podcast, where our usual panel of the Athletic's sharpest tactical and data analytics writers have just been digging into why so many head coaches today were once central midfielders. And does it explain why the price of a good deep-lying midfielder has skyrocketed in recent transfer windows? Available now on Apple, Spotify and all the usual places. Just search for the Athletic Football Tactics podcast now. This is the Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Talking of big transfer moves, how about Romelu Lukaku going to Rome? 5,000 fans at Ciampino Airport to greet the big man as he arrived. Of course, flown in personally by Dan Freakin, the Roma owner, who's a qualified pilot, has got a collection of vintage aircraft, etc., etc., Christopher Nolan, uh, Dunkirk, etc., did you not did you catch that. our Tuesday episode? You know, opinion is divided, but he may or may not have actually been flying the Spitfire in Dunkirk. Oh, wow. Yeah, amazing. Yeah. Uh, anyway, forty-seven thousand, according to the Gazette de la Sport, forty-seven thousand Roma fans were tracking the freaking flight, <laughs> which is a freaking big number. <laughs> Could he feature on Friday night as Roma 
host the most eye-catching team so far, early days, of course, in the City F season, and that's Milan. Huge game, the Rossoneri visiting the Stadio Olimpico. That'll be on your TNT Sports on uh, Friday night. If you don't fancy that, how about a slice of history with the opening Premier League game at Kenilworth Road, West Ham visiting Luton. Very, very shortly, we'll get a visit from the Athletics' very own Luton fan, Alex Brody, if he's not in yet. Which means we can talk about other things, other things like Man City, Fulham. City have won their last 14 meetings with the Cottages in all competitions. Spurs visiting Burnley that Saturday afternoon, or perhaps Chelsea, Nottingham Forest, or even, Jay, Brentford, Bournemouth. Did you know that no team has dropped more points from winning positions since the start of last season than the Bees? Yes, of course you did. Probably you I told us that. I didn't, actually. Um, but that's a very interesting stat because I remember maybe around December, January last year, uh, I wrote a piece with Liam Tame about how Brentford had this really good record of never losing a game once they took the lead in the mm. Premier League. Mm -hmm. um, I can't remember how long it stretched for, um, but I think they eventually had a better record than Man City and Aston Villa since they've been promoted. So it's interesting that it now seems to have shifted to a point where they take the lead and they just can't close out the wins. Why would that be, do you think? I don't really know. It's a good question. I think Thomas Frank's definitely trying to be a little bit more expansive in the way that Brentford play and that obviously comes with risks. But I think it's the intelligent thing to do Brentford have been in the Premier League for two years they can't keep recycling the same old tactics there needs to be some form of, of evolution and I think they're trying to move away from being quite pragmatic and using maybe three or five at the back when they come up against top six teams and trying to be a little bit bolder and hold on to the ball more obviously that means you're more open to, to risks there are a couple of games towards the end of last season against Aston Villa and Newcastle that were really important in Brentford's push for Europe and they ended up conceding late on in both of those games and obviously when you're fighting for something that happens you've got to open yourself up and, and take risks but it's certainly something I'm gonna I think do a little bit of investigating on once we've uh, finished recording here. Nice looking forward to uh, finding out your conclusions as I mentioned Chelsea take your nodding on Forest uh, Chelsea have reached an agreement with Man City to sign their attacking midfielder Cole Palmer that's an unexpected move. Yeah I found that one really strange. Um, I've watched Cole Palmer up close a couple of times. I had the um, privilege of going to watch a few England under-21 games in March and I just thought he really, really good on the ball. Very similar to Mares in terms of mm. know, predominantly left-footed, but he can use his right as well. And in my head, every time I was watching him, I just thought this is a player who probably at most of the Premier League clubs other than Man City maybe starts week in, week out. Um, such obvious talent there. So for City to sell someone who's come through their academy, has scored in the Community Shield and the UEFA Super Cup recently, clearly has a lot of talent, um, to a domestic rival, I, I can't quite get my, my head around it. Clearly, Guardiola and, and Man City must feel like there's something Palmer can't do well enough. Right. That means that he's worth selling for, I think it was £45 million yeah. pounds or something £45 like that. million pounds for a player who's got less than 500 Premier League minutes is... It's one of those things that makes me feel old and as if the Premier League has moved on. And so maybe it's anymore. a good... Maybe he disrespected Guardiola <laughs> in the dressing room or something like that. I think one thing that's... One of the secretly important players the last couple of transfer windows is Joe Shields. So he is former Manchester City head of recruitment, goes over to Southampton, brings in a bunch of very young players at Southampton, you know, including Romeo Lavia and whatnot. Southampton get, you know, to, to borrow a Daniel Story term, the squad gets too weird and they get relegated. Then he goes over to Chelsea and now he's bringing over a number of players that he knew from Manchester City and he knew from from Southampton. And he's bringing them to Chelsea. You've seen this in the Lavia deal as well. And it seems like Cole Palmer is another one where Shields wants to get his, his favourite or, you know, favourite youngsters that he's worked with and Chelsea are, are giving him the green light. It's It's... Real high risk, high reward. All of the players are good, but I don't know if all these players can play. That's um, a really good point because obviously Michael Elise was in Man City's academy at the time. Joe Shields was there, right? So mm -hmm. that was another reason why that Chelsea were pushing for Elise so hard. Um, and obviously Elise is a very similar profile to Palmer in the fact that they're both left-footed, play on the right wing. But those deals don't make a huge amount of sense to me because Sterling's obviously started the season very well. 
Um, you've got Noni Madaweke, who, again, was excellent for PSV. Again, England under-21 international. He likes to play on the right wing. So it just seems like Chelsea are just overstocking talent on that side of the pitch when there's other priorities mm. that they need to be looking at. Right. Takes us close to the billion mark, surely, for Burley's expenditure. Um, I think it's already 900 million, if not. It yeah. Might have already, yeah. So. so we're on our way, aren't we? In the old days, there'd be a big... Big Blue Peter style, Blue Peter style kind yeah, of towers, yes. and they'd fill in a little bit each <laughs> yeah. each week. I mean, the summer started, which you felt like Chelsea have been quite sensible in the last couple of weeks. They've mm. just you know pressed the button, saying many many transfers. I mean, they're kind of the tagline for their new kit launch is all about the nineties. It's a, you know it's a nineties thing. What's the tagline? Well, it's a nineties thing. It's, it's like a nineties thing. But a part of me wonders whether they're just like wistfully remembering when they didn't have to spend a billion pounds, and it's more you know. Perhaps. 90s nostalgia, I can't get my head around it, Jay. I was just going to say, I'll tell you what's quite interesting to consider, and obviously Carl and I are talking about the price of Cole Palmer, Mm. is that a player Brentford have been chasing for two years is is Brennan Johnson. And it looks like, I don't think Brentford will get him, but it looks like he's valued between 40 to 50 million by Nottingham Forest. But it does feel like he's probably going to go before the end of the window. But it's intriguing that he's Wales International, Mm-hmm. I think he scored eight times in the Premier League last season, can play across the front line. But then he's the same amount as, as Cole Palmer, who's got under 500 minutes. It's just intriguing how people really decide shows, the value of players sometimes. It really shows the value of being, or the value of being a fringe player or an up-and-coming up player at a team that's just won a treble. I think the more I'm seeing fees attached to wide players this summer, the more Diaby to Aston Villa looks mm. like a real a real coup mm. because uh, Diaby could be playing for a top six team and will play a big role in if Aston Villa make a siege on the top six. It's re- remarkable, remarkable numbers, and I, I keep thinking in my head. You know, I remember when Sedan was forty six million. Crazy, I grew up and is gone. And all this was Fields, Carl. <laughs> uh, Alex Brody's in the building. Alex Brody is in the building, so we're ready now for our He's Luton just coming West through a terraced chat. house into the studio. <laughs> Alex, first of all, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. And nice, you know, to greet you with a little bit of uh, entering through someone's garden banter, which you don't get enough of, I'm guessing. No, no, no I don't think... I can uh, say, because I'm a Wickham fan, so I've been to Luton many times. I've, right. I've contorted my knees to try and sit in that away end. That's it. I mean, you can stand, obviously. Not yeah. legally, but it is an option. Mm. Yeah, yeah. West Ham making the visit on Friday. Are you excited? Is there a lot of excitement in Luton? Massive excitement, yeah. We had the first test game on Tuesday night against Gillingham with a new stand. Uh, all went well. Uh, the media section all looked very fancy. All looks good on telly. And there's new food stalls outside, which is massively exciting. And yeah, I think people, after the Burnley game was postponed, the Premier League game, because we weren't sure we'd be ready, everyone's just ready to... Welcome Premier League to Kenilworth Road. Okay, what what are the changes that necessitated this this kind of month of delay? Uh, essentially, one side of the ground was knocked down and rebuilt so that we could fit in media people, mm. uh, TV gantries, VAR cameras that's never been used at Kenilworth Road before. Uh, so it's been a lot of building work in what three months, about ten million pounds worth of work. We did a piece in the Athletic today, actually, from Omar Garrick, where he went and visited all the residents who lived around there and what it's like living next to an odd stadium if you've ever seen it it's uh, the way in particularly is in between terraced housing which has been mentioned so yeah that's a very good piece today and yeah we're just buzzing really for will it retain its unique atmosphere despite the uh, the gloss i think so yeah because i mean the other three ground the other three stands are still 50 to 100 years old so it's still you're very much on the pitch but that that stand used to be executive boxes when they've knocked down mm. and that was an odd atmosphere anyway because you couldn't really build it like you would in a normal stand so if anything I think it'll add to it Brilliant On the field uh, a 4-1 and a 3-0 defeat so far uh, is that how concerned should we be? I'll be honest I was actually very concerned by both games uh, <laughs> the first one against Brighton I thought at times we were really in the game as we were against Chelsea uh, but also we look massively overrun in both games. And, and we're not going to get relegated on Brighton away and Chelsea away at all. But I think the confidence was knocked a little, uh, which is why the West Ham game at home is so big, really, and the upcoming games, Wolves as well. Why do you think West Ham might go better? Well, I did think it would go better until West Ham obviously then 
<laughs> than beat Brighton. But uh, I think because it's at home and the atmosphere and the excitement around it all, um, right. I just think it'd be massive. I do remember when, obviously, Brentford had their first game. Although it wasn't at Griffin Park, it was at their new stadium two years ago and it was on a Friday night as well. The second you walked into the ground that day, you just knew something special was going to happen and I'm sure it'll be the same on, on Friday at Kenilworth Road. There was just this... There was just a little bit of magic in the air. It was everybody knew like it was a once in a lifetime occasion, you know, Luton's first game in the Premier League, Brentford's first game in the Premier League. And you just knew that there was going to be an upset on the cards. You just knew that every single fan, every single player was going to be fully up for it and was going to make the most of it and not leave anything out basically yeah or leave everything we're not sure which way round it should <laughs> oh, well, be yeah. should they leave nothing or leave everything on the field which one did the prime minister say leave he said he leave said nothing, nothing. Yes, i'm one. minded it's the other one yeah. okay yeah duncan no i mean slightly loath to say this but uh luton do create a very good atmosphere i mean i think people will be surprised it, it is a small ground but compared to say bournemouth the atmosphere at Luton is, is pretty cool, Jim. Like, I should Everyone add. Picks I, Bournemouth. Everyone picks Bournemouth. I'm should, sorry, Bournemouth fans. In, in the rebuilding of this stand, I should say we made sure there was enough uh, seats added, so we're slightly bigger than Bournemouth ground. Nice. So it's is not, it? not the smallest Premier League ground. That's very uh, nice. So. On the subject of West Ham, we talked about them quite extensively on our Sunday night a roundup show grassroots coach getting in touch to say bunch of snobs at West Ham have torn Chelsea and Brighton apart and are sitting or were sitting top of the table why the negativity because it's Moyes question mark well I, I agree but yeah. mm. th there's no right way to play football I mean, Moyes has gone pure Moyes this season yeah it? it wasn't a universal negativity no, no. The, the view was expressed that maybe they should be evolving a bit more but I, I think others of us were celebrating it yeah yeah so yeah but having said all of that it's one thing to do that against a team like Brighton who let you play that way. What are the prospects against Luton? Can Luton jam a spanner in the, in, in the hammer works? Uh, yeah, I think so. I, what's odd is we're used to, Luton are used to playing without the ball. That's kind of how we came up from the championship. So in a way, we're well prepared for playing Premier League teams. Whether that'll work against West Ham or not, I, I don't know. Hopefully we'd be a bit more adventurous against them, especially at home. Who's the big danger man for Luton? Carl Morris, the centre-forward, is, is going to be pretty crucial, as I suppose they always are. If you want to stay in a league, you're going to need to score goals, and I think Morris will be important there. Um, Kabore on the right, who uh, is on loan from Man City. He's a young, young wing-back. He'll be very exciting. Um, and the defence, really, is, is what was quite concerning in both first two games. Um, at times, they looked very shaky. So I think that's probably going to be quite crucial for us as well. All right. You don't want to become the first top-flight team since West Brom in 1890 to lose your first three games by a margin of three goals or more, I'm no, guessing. Exactly, that's mm. what they'll be saying, I imagine. Big X-factor for West Ham. Uh, Mohamed Kudus has now turned up. Right. Um, so, bit of question mark as to where he's going to fit into that starting lineup. but having watched him for Ajax and for the Ghanaian national team, he's a superstar. He's going to be absolutely incredible for West Ham. Um, and he could be the way Moyes gets to that I think a nice halfway between classic Moyes and, and, and the worries of more expansive Moyes because uh, he's very good in possession. He's, he's quite press resistant, but he can, you know, play that quick, pacey, direct style if Moyes so chooses it to be. If you look at the, the money West Ham has spent on their Declan Rice replacements, obviously mm -hmm. you got a little bit of criticism for maybe not being proactive and preempting that they were going to get this massive amount of money for him. But we've now got Edson Alvarez, James Ward-Prowse, Mohamed Kudos. They kept Paqueta. That is a mm. that is a good looking midfield for any team in the Premier League. I'd argue. I remember there was a point uh, in the game against Brighton at the weekend where Alvarez, I think, received the ball in his own box, turned two or three players, passed it to um, I think it was Soufal, who just pumped it out of play. And the commentators <laughs> gone. Oh, Alvarez was being a bit risky there. I was thinking Alvarez wasn't being risky. He knew exactly what he was doing. It, it was Soufal was the one who's panicking. But there, the class level of their midfield has actually, I think, gone up a touch. If anything. Heartening news yeah. for you, uh, Alex, ahead of this weekend. Broadly speaking, though, beyond West Ham, what are you most looking forward to from this season? And how has it been? The kind of there's been a slightly patronising reaction to L Luton's arrival, possibly based around the unique nature of their ground. I think Luton have had that for the last three, four years since we've risen up from non-league up to Premier League at every stage. Certainly in the Championship, we were right. still the sky. Uh, people were complaining about losing to teams like Luton. Um, that was quite big. But what Saad actually mentioning, mentioning Wickham, um, 
I think the recognition now of being in the Premier League is quite big for Luton fans because when we were in non-league, the local radio station, we were fourth, the fourth match commentary behind Watford, Stevenage, Wickham. And at the time, we, we took that quite to heart. It was understandable. <laughs> we were playing in non-league. Um, and as each promotion's gone along, you're suddenly, you've got the highlights package on ITV or you're on Red Button on Sky, which I think to Premier League clubs who are established or even championship clubs, that's quite normal. But when you've had that period of such a lack of coverage, it's, it's quite nice to be on Match the Day, even if you're getting battered every week. Right, very much the back end of this totally football show, but who knows as the weeks go by. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> You might rise up in the running order without your traditional rivals. Then in yeah. in the same league, left far behind in your wake on this meteoric rise. Which is the game that you've got ringed in red? Um, I mean, West Ham at home obviously is massive. Oh, yeah. That's our first home game, and uh, there's a bit of history between London clubs coming to Kenworth Road back in the bad old days. And I think the atmosphere you were saying about the first game, Jay will be massive for West Ham fans as well. I think they will be yeah, there yeah. to make a massive noise. Mm. Um, and so that's going to be big. Um, away games, like, in terms of being patronised, but going to Old Trafford in the league. It felt in the Chelsea game the other night, it was like a cup game. And I'm hoping that will wear off and eventually it'll be like, we'll feel like we should be at this level. Mm. Um, but they're the big games. There's no real rivalry, obviously, with Watford. Languishing. Languishing, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Very good. I'm sure lots of us will be rooting for Luton. Thank you. Uh, come uh, come Friday night, you know, all due respect to West Ham and that, and their lack of tactical evolution. I still think there's more bodies coming through the door West Ham as well. That's oh, is there? Who else is coming mm. now, Carl? Well, they're being linked with, um, well, I think he's being linked with everybody at the moment, but Hugo Ekatike from, oh, yeah. from PSG. Mm. He nearly moved to Newcastle, I think, 18 months ago. But I've definitely seen that he's being uh, whispered around West Ham, I mean, there's been links to Brentford. I'm not really 100% sure if that's the case. But, yeah, we are in the final 48 hours of silly we season after are. all. So, yeah. so buckle up. Yeah, Jesse so Lingard is out there waiting. Of course, yeah. <laughs> Getting stronger. So it's a big Friday night on the transfer front well, and the Kenilworth Road That's front. a good point because right. it's quite rare to have a Premier League game happening while the transfer window closes. Mm. Um, you wonder whether Luton and West Ham will be doing business during the game. Mm. Well, I want to see... Moyes walk off with a, you know, taking a phone call during the game. <laughs> or someone sat in the stands just, uh, you know. Oh, yeah. A, a player. We think we found player X mm, in there. Yeah. Do you remember when they did that with, the, I think it was the Huddersfield manager a few years ago yep. and it wasn't actually him. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Jan Seifert. Yeah, I think, yes. yeah, I think that's, that's the one, yeah. It's lucky we've yeah. built, rebuilt this, the stand, really, just for Friday night. So if there's any West Ham signings, potential... They've got right. a nice, nice sound. Or, or maybe a Luton one, Alex. Well, well possibly. We okay. can see. Lingard to Luton has got us an energy to it. We've already got Ross Barkley. Yes, that, that was kind of the big, big name signing that was... I think when we came up, we've been so good in recruitment mm. and financially balanced. It's all about sustainable future, building a new ground that we're going to move to. Um, so when Barkley was signed... There was a feeling of like, is this going to go like Nottingham Forest? Right. Nice start to transfer window, sensible signings, and then Barkley means after that. Is it? Well, to me, it sounded a bit more like when you go up to big school and you get your big brother sports kit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, I mean, it was very exciting. I, I won't lie. Okay. It, there was a it, what he gets out of it and what we get out of it. He did very well against Chelsea, I think. Okay. And he's got a point to prove, so that's mm. uh, good for us, I think. For it will season. be interesting to see. How you know if Luton stay in the Premier League for a long time? Be interesting to see how the the transfer strategy changes because we were just talking off air a minute ago. But Brentford's club record signing when they got promoted was Christopher Iyer for thirteen point five million pounds. Um, it's now twenty three million that they paid for Nathan Collins earlier this summer. But I mean they've tried to sign Nico Gonzalez for thirty five million euros. They've tried to sign Brennan Johnson for forty million pounds. If the Johnson deal goes through, and that's a big if because I think I said earlier I don't think it will happen. They've tripled their club record signing in. in two years like it just goes up and up and up and up and up it's just crazy to think that Brentford signing players for 20 million pounds two three four years ago people would have said never going to happen and now it's just the norm well it's not long since 40 million was what plus one was what Suarez <laughs> supposedly cost so <laughs> inflation rampant uh, Alex best of luck on Friday then and with Thanks the weeks going forward thank you so much for, for popping in today and I, I do hope you'll join us again with more Luton talk I certainly will nice <laughs> Nice as the season progresses. That, though, uh, brings us to the end of today's 
look ahead to the weekend. Thank you so much for joining us, listener. Thanks as well to producer Charlie, Jay, Duncan, Carl and Alex. And we'll be back with you slightly later on uh, the Monday. We're recording a little bit later because of logistical issues. It's, but, you know, well worth hanging around for, I'm sure, with our reaction to all of those games. Bingo. Have a great weekend and we'll catch up with you then. You've been listening to The Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Discover bonus video content by searching for The Totally Football Show on YouTube and see the very latest subscription offers at theathletic.com slash totally. The Athletic.